really just build out a, you know, a holding company that is sustainable. I can have fun. My team is having fun. Uh, investors can make money along the way. And it's really just enjoying life and that. And then along the way is, you know, opportunities come. I'm sure there'll be some way that we can have some type of impact in certain areas that we'll look forward to. Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we are joined by Joe Robert out of Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, by way of Puerto Rico. So excited for him to share a little bit. So, Joe, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Well, I appreciate having me on today, and thank you, everybody, for joining uh, my name is Joe Robert. Uh, I've been an investor here for about 20 years. I grew up in the Philadelphia area and, you know, uh, through high school, went to contract, did contracting work and went through the tech school. It was way for me to get out of high school half of the time and not have to sit in the classroom. So <laughs> kind of all started there. Um, so through my teenage years, I uh, was a contractor and a landscaper. And then when I got out of school, I bought my first property at the age of 19. Um, that was outside of Philadelphia area at that time too. Um, I spent two years rehabbing that property and then sold it. And why do we sell it after two years of living there? Because we get the tax treatment, right? Of course. We get the tax-free treatment. <laughs> so this was definitely back, uh, you know, this is pretty much about 20 years ago because I'm turning 40 this year, right? And so 20 years ago, we definitely didn't have the talk amongst the classmates as we do today in regards to investing in properties or being an entrepreneur. At that time, it was self-employed. So definitely, I was one of the first people to start getting into real estate. And from there, in the 2000s, I was kind of investing alongside uh, with my mom also in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. So we started buying different types of real estate from rentals to lots. We did some subdivisions and so forth. and you know, one of the best and worst experiences that may have occurred is the, the housing crash, right? And going through the housing crash told me great lessons in my age, in the age of 20s, right? That don't buy too many pieces of property that don't cash flow and don't take out mortgages, right? Yeah. Don't have a drain, right? Correct. But hey, when, you know, in the 2000s, definitely everyone was in that position where they were uh, obviously really taking on as much debt as they can, taking on as many loans as they can. So that kind of laid some great foundation, you know, going forward because I've learned all lessons. I've learned what not to do, you know, what is the best practices. And so from there, we, I started investing in real estate in the Philadelphia area. And along the way, one of my lenders basically was said he's going to remove all of his private capital from my deals over to this other fund that was paying him 18%. And I was like, wow, that's you know a nice return. I think I was giving him about 15 at that time. And so I was like, okay, what's it about? And basically it's a distressed mortgage fund. So this was another company in the Philadelphia area that was buying distressed mortgages at that time. And they were able to pay out about 18% return. So I started going to the monthly meetups that they had. And I was very intrigued because after just coming out of the housing crash, I could actually be on the other side where I own the debt, right? And people kind of owed me money versus the other way where you owe the bank's money. So, um, 
you know, I decided to kind of dive in and bought the first pool of loans. I had met a friend at one of the meetings and he worked out the loans for me. And once about six months later, I had evidence that it worked and we had our first collections. I was like, okay, I'm sold. So I put aside the real estate investing for a moment and started just buying loans. And so for the next six years or so, we were buying distressed mortgages, mostly second mortgages. Towards the end, we were buying first mortgages. And, uh, you know, in that process, I decided and my partner decided that, hey, let's move down to Puerto Rico. And this is 2014, right? In Puerto Rico, you know, let alone it's a great place. It's an island. You have the, you know, the beach and it's great weather. You know, they have tax incentives there for businesses and investors to come down that effectively could give you approximately about a six, a zero to 10% tax rate, right? So, <laughs> You know, at, for capital gains, basically it's about zero percent, and you know they have some corporate tax rate about four percent. But depending on how things are allocated, about a zero to ten. Um, so as you can imagine, that's that does lure a lot of different investors down there, right? Because I'm sure you're at what in Seattle, and what is the tax rate up there? So thankfully, there's no income tax, which is wonderful. But uh, you know, obviously, the Fed tax for high income people, you're at you know 35, 37 percent. Like it's rough. Yeah. So as you can imagine, you know, it was a great opportunity. Um, and while we were down there, we actually got to meet a lot of the banks because we were living there. And so in 2015, we bought our first pool or, uh, you know, pool of REO assets. I think it was about 52 at that time, comprised mostly residential, also some commercial properties. And that led us down the path of buying more from the banks. I think over the last, call it seven years, probably invested in over hundred properties there. And, uh, you know, during that period, I also had met some of the other ACTS people that were coming down for the tax benefits, and they happened to be into crypto and tech, right? And so seeing how the Puerto Rico recovery was later than the US, I knew that the window of opportunity also for distressed assets in the next few years would dwindle down. And the energy around the tech space and just being around young people and young developers really got me intrigued. So, I mean, that's kind of the high level and, you know, now back stateside and uh, in Raleigh and a lot of focus is in the tech area. Um, I think as everyone knows, it's going to be applied even to real estate at some point, you know, algorithms will buy real estate, obviously open door, et cetera, is kind of doing it right. So, <laughs> but from even a commercial and apartment standpoint, everything is going that way. So while technology is, kind of broad, it's impacting all different areas. So I think having an investment there really just kind of broadens that portfolio and you're taking advantage of that opportunity. Makes sense. As we go back to the beginning of your story, you mentioned uh, kind of high school, you were working and then became a real estate you know, person at 19 rehabbing. Were you full-time real estate at that point? Did you just jump, you know, two feet in or was there something else? Uh, That's good. You know? So, yeah, yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we went from landscaping to contracting and landscaping. Then we got out of high school just to contracting. I kept that contracting until maybe 25, 26-ish. So I was rehabbing those houses myself. And you know, between doing the real estate and doing the contracting work for other people, I was managing both. So for someone who's thinking of rehabbing their first house on their own, uh, what, uh, what little tidbits of advice would you give them? 
I guess that it breaks it down to two different areas, right? One, if they don't have any expertise in there, I definitely run. <laughs> Hire a professional, right? Because I uh, the amount of time it would take to learn things and just, you know, the, those beginner steps of like all those trips at Home Depot and Lowe's and standing in line and everything. It's just, if you think of the big picture of life, it's just not worth the time. Now, like I said, I already kind of had that expertise. So it's much easier for me, but then, you know, when I stopped doing contract work mid twenties, that was the point that I had, a re- I realized that if I don't stop doing the work, I won't be able to do more. Yeah. You kind of limit yourself, right? Uh, and time's the limiting factor. But uh, so as you, as you were building the companies and building the real estate portfolio, right. And you started having cash flow come in. It sounds like maybe going into 2008, not all the properties were cash flowing properties. Uh, maybe you were flipping or doing some other things there, but uh, you've got money on the table, right? You don't have to worry about roof over the head, food on the table. You've got cash coming in. What was your framework in terms of where you put the money, right? In terms of you know reinvesting back in the contracting business, right? Hiring more people there versus buying assets, right? Where did your, your strategic thinking take you? Well, at that time, definitely was reinvested um, into new deals, right? Because that's just the easiest thing to do and it's what you know. And that's probably where, you know, I think a lot of people got a little bit over leveraged in the sense that people kept taking that extra equity or the profits they were making and rolling it back into deals. Um, you know, we were rolling it into lots or pieces of land where you could kind of go in and subdivide, but then that doesn't have cash flow, right? And so ultimately kind of, you know, that's when you knew the top of the cycle looking back is when everyone's buying these pieces of land everywhere, that's like the top of a cycle, right? When all that infill buildings occurring and everything that's getting near the peak. Um, so while, you know, there were some properties that cash flow, we kept taking on kind of more lots and, you know, land and so forth. And that didn't cash flow. Okay. So you're, you're taking on, so it was expand, expand, expand. I'm guessing 2008 came and that was a, uh, you know, an eye opener, some lessons there. Uh, then you kind of shifted, right? You got into REOs, you probably built up again. You know, what were the lessons that you learned through that, you know, and looking back, you know, what you might've done differently? Looking back for the listeners, a few things I think as everyone is, is definitely never, never over leverage, right? Never over leverage. Don't take on properties that don't cash flow. I mean, look, even if it's a, a rental or Airbnb and there's negative cash flow, I still wouldn't do that deal uh, unless you have substantial net worth to the extent that it's not really a problem. Um, that's that's first lesson. Don't over leverage. Two, you can sleep better at night. There's less stress and the older you get, I think you realize that it's much better to get into what we'll call positions or investments that have a longer term, longer time horizon, right? Because then you're not thinking about that quick flip. You're not getting caught. You're not worried about uh, cash flow as much. These are things I think are very important. So having a longer term, long time horizon. How did... Um... How did your investments change, right? So obviously you shifted out of uh, flipping, it sounds like, obviously got out of contracting. Now you're in REOs. How did you start building, you know, or investing or putting your money at that point? Yeah. So from the lots and after the 2000s, and, you know, started going into fixing up uh, REOs and properties around Philly into the notes, um, you know, what we were doing was... Uh, basically taking all capital 
and deploying it and buying more portfolio of loans. And as any capital came in for the last, I guess you call it 10 years pretty much, has majority always reinvested. Um, have not gone out and bought a lot in life <laughs> to say, right? Uh, you probably won't find me in, you know, a, a private jet pictures or anything like that across the internet. Uh, you know, I, I even, I, you know, over 200 houses I've invested in or owned, I still to today, uh, currently rent, believe it or not. Um, and, uh, so I'm just more humble in that sense from learning along the way. I pre presume that humility, right, and just keeping the the living costs low just creates more cash flow for you and and how you go about it. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, you know, once you start hit a certain threshold of cash flow, or even if you're turning properties, whatever that is, um, basically once your main expenses are taken care of, then after that. It just becomes a lot easier, a lot less stressful, right? Because you don't have to one um, execute every deal just to turn capital because you're not in a hurry and there's no uh, minimal overhead is already covered. I would say you can sleep better, <laughs> right? It just becomes less stressful overall. Uh, you know, if you have your keep your expenses low, and over time you just continue to compound and reinvest. What's the end goal for you, right? Living modestly, increasing cash flow, right? You've got more that's coming in. Uh, you know, what are you looking forward to, or what's what's the end end state for you? That's a good one. I think we're always uh, fine tuning that throughout life and searching for what that is. Um, definitely, in the last handful of years, I've probably matured the most as an adult. And so I think each year it's changing. And as I kind of look out into this world and see what's happening, um, my end goal is really just to continue every year to build out the company, um, continuously invest. Um, as I mentioned now, like invest in maybe some new things where I see the market going like technology and really just build out a, you know, a, a holding company that is sustainable. I can have fun. My team is having fun. Uh, investors can make money along the way. And it's really just enjoying life and that. And then along the way is, you know, opportunities come. I'm sure there'll be some way that we can have some type of impact in certain areas that we'll look forward to. So you mentioned the last couple of years you've matured more. Has that resulted in you changing you know, either your risk appetite or the types of investments that you've made? <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think uh, the saying would go probably for most, the more money or the, the, the greater your balance sheet grows, typically the less risk you need to take on um, because you've already met certain hurdles. Right. And in doing that, I think comes back to, again, not taking on certain risks, not taking on certain deals you don't have to do and think about investing from more of a for sure type of investment than not so sure, but higher return investments. Makes sense. Um, if you were to provide some guidance to someone who is, you know, experiencing profitability, looking for, you know, where to put the money, 
what counsel would you give them in terms of, you know, how to evaluate putting it in their business versus, you know, potential other investment opportunities? And, you know, what would you recommend in the, you know, outside of investing in the business or buying their, you know, own house or bigger house, you know, where should, where should they be looking at? Are you saying take a, not reinvest in their business? So two questions, right? One is, right. Uh, if reinvest in the business, right. As the council, uh, what parameters do you set for when to reinvest and when to invest elsewhere or outside? Right. Um, uh, I think that's a tough one. Right. I think the default for most people is great. I'm going to reinvest back in the business. Um, and for some that makes sense. Right. But uh, I would venture to guess that most people don't run what the ROI is of investment back in their own business relative to an investment opportunity. Right. So uh, curious kind of how you think about that. Um, and then the second kind of question is, you know, for someone who's investing outside, what things should they be considering in today's market? All right. So one on the one side, well, one's, one, uh, one answer doesn't fit all. We know that. So, <laughs> but let's talk about reinvesting into your business. I think um, on the small scale, most of the time, it makes sense to reinvest into your business, right? Um there's no magic number here, but maybe when your business hits a certain threshold, uh, you know, whether that's 10, a hundred million, 500 million, it could be different for all. Um, there might be excessive cash flow that the business may not actually need. And I think at that point, if you also want to maybe minimize some of your risk, then you start looking for those outside investments. But for the most part, if you're smaller, I would say take all your excess capital, reinvest it back in yourself, unless that maybe you just have one of those lifestyle like businesses that do 300,000, a million dollars a year, and you just don't even care to grow it, which is not a problem too, because you're just enjoying life. So you're like, I'll just put my excess cash now over into these other vehicles. But if you want to build and scale and have an exit, you want to reinvest in what you have until you have that exit. And then, you know, or at least uh, a lot of excess cash that you can start looking in these other areas or it might be a distraction. Now, when it comes to investing in, these other areas with your excess cash, um, how to blend, you know, have, you don't want this to be a distraction from your everyday life, right? So one, if you're running that business and you're busy and you're working all the time, you also probably can't go out and source a bunch of deals and underwrite them and do everything unless you maybe already have a team or a partner set up that could be you know the caveat but for most people sometimes that is an actual distraction from what they're trying to grow and do so finding the right partners to partner with is probably the way i would go and how how would you do that best way is always to try to go off some referrals friends family that i've already invested in uh syndications different debt funds out there whatever may exist um so if someone's looking for something turnkey, right? Because obviously uh, most of the listeners likely involved in their own business, right? Time strapped. Uh, what do you recommend them starting with, right? Is it dividend stocks and a financial advisor? Is it, uh, you know, finding some alternative investments that are made for you, fund type, uh, fund of fund? Like, uh, is it real estate? Is it crypto? Like, what direction would you say, hey, you know, start here? All right. So I'm not, I've only played in the alternative asset area. So I've never invested in like the S&P or anything in that realm. So definitely not, you know, I can't really advise to that area, but when it comes to alternative assets, um, probably back to the relationship thing first, 
I would start and look at your closest relationships and see if anybody you already know is investing in certain deals because that might give you a leg up to understand the certain track record without going and spending that time and due diligence that's required to build those relationships. Now, let's go to the other side. If you don't know anybody and maybe you're just looking at the market as a whole and you want to take more of a broad approach to your portfolio, then I would probably you know, allocate into a few things that are projected to have that type of growth that you'd want to see. And depending on your age, what type of risk appetite you have, but over the next decade, um, you know, I'm investing in the tech uh, blockchain arena. Um, you know, I think digital assets as a whole and digital assets is a wide range. You know, it could be security tokens and real estate. It could be a lot of different things it is here because we are moving and have been for the last decade moving to a digital economy, right? Where things are just being digitized. So I think the exponential growth we see there is a great thing to invest in. Obviously, I'm investing in it myself. Um, as a real estate investor, I think there's opportunities to be found. It's just getting harder right now. And with the compressed uh, rates we've seen over the years and the gains we've seen, I don't think that same opportunity will show up in the next five years. But for some type of steady, consistent cash flow, real estate's good too. Um, if you want to blend that portfolio, you know, you want to meet certain cash flow requirements, you might go to a certain fixed rate fund, preferred rate refund, debt fund, and, you know, clip a coupon six, eight, 10%, depending on that fund. And that can be a great option too, if you want certain cash flow to come in to cover certain expenses, right? So some people might go, uh, might say, okay, I'm going to allocate here to this debt fund. I preferred return that covers these expenses. Now I'm going to go here to maybe a venture fund, right? where it's less liquid, longer term, and this covers this area. And then last, I put a portion in real estate, you know, it's been here forever. So in terms of finding these opportunities, your recommendation would be start with, you know, those high net worth friends and family, try to understand where they're investing, uh, see what sort of uh, vehicles they've got, relationships and trade off, you know, trust with those members uh, and where they're invested. Yeah, I think that's the best, you know, one of the best ways. And what I'm trying to probably get at from a high level is you want to have someone, you either want to have a relationship in an area that you're going to invest in that you have like trusted parties, or you want to have some idea of what you're actually going to invest in, right? Because it's when you start investing in these things, you have no clue about no relationships is where you start to get in trouble, <laughs> right? So that's, that's what I'm trying to you know, that's what I'm saying. It's not one answer fits all, but like start with these relationships, start with what you know. I mean, if you already happen to be a real estate expert, maybe you're going to go there. Uh, maybe your portfolio wants that fixed rate return and you know uh, it's backed by, you know, a certain amount of uh, assets and equity that's available in that portfolio. And so you're safe. Um, you know, that's the best way I would, I would go. As we're wrapping up, Joe, what is the thing that gets you most excited today, the thing that you're working on that makes you most excited or thing you're investing in that uh, gets you, get your juices flowing. Again, it's, I'm excited every day just to get up and I mean, be living in the U S and just enjoying myself, man. I mean, that's number one, right? We're living uh, here. I mean, we have the best amenities and, you know, as long as you're healthy, I mean, you're way up and doing well. Uh, when it comes to business, what gets me excited is just doing deals 
building relationships with the team members. Uh, you know, when you're building out your company, like everyone probably knows, you know, these are the basically people that become your family and your friends, right? I mean, a lot of us, as our, you know, as we get older, most of our friends are coming through work or some type of, you know, you know, who we do business with. So I think that's what gets excited is being around those right people when it comes to business. And the last, I would say, the technology and energy that's amongst, like, let's say the blockchain space drives me every day to get up because it's interesting to see where the future will go and the opportunity and being a part of it. What's, uh, what's the best way for the listeners to connect back with you, right? To learn more about blockchain or talk to you about some of your ideas. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, for all the listeners, uh, the best way is to go to joerobert.com and you can subscribe to our weekly digital asset insights newsletter there. Uh, you know, we break down what's happening in the market. We also show you what interviews we're doing with people in the space, and I'll give you an idea of what's happening. And you can also go to robertventures.com. That's our company. If you want, you could book a call there. You can always speak to me about investing with us or just investing in general, and I can help you out. Awesome. Appreciate the insights and uh, look forward to staying connected, Joe. Thank you very much, Liam. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com, where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners, like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps toward your financial success. 